Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the You Are Not So Smart Podcast, episode 273. So I was talking to a friend of mine who I used to be in a band with many, many years ago, and he's a lovely guy but he'd gone right down the QAnon rabbit hole. He was expressing his views in good faith with me. And I had this moment where I, in in a previous life, I might've been scornful or tried to smack him down about what he believed. And I realized the futility of that. And I also thought about linking him to some of the biases that he was clearly suffering in his the way that he was thinking about this. And that just felt really combative and unhelpful. Because I've been thinking about this in this, this wheelhouse that you and I have both been in for quite a while now, and in terms of the psychology and understanding what actually helps to um, change people's minds, I knew that my efforts to be in any way antagonistic were going to be um, counterproductive. And so I thought about this for a few days and I was thinking, you know, what would be really good is if I could provide a way for people to conduct their own critical thinking investigation. So rather than me as a holier than thou rational skeptic waggling my finger at someone telling them where it's at, instead providing a way where someone in good faith without threat could go into something and say, Okay, well, let's honestly examine this. I'm open to the truth of things. That is the voice of Jesse Richardson. Jesse is an award-winning advertising creative director who is very, very good at art direction and copywriting, digital strategy, web design, graphic design, user interfaces, app creation, all those sorts of things. And based on the inspiration he just shared, this experience with a conspiracy theory-believing friend, He and his organization, along with several consultants, including myself, built a website and an app called The Conspiracy Test. And it just launched. You can stop the show right now and check it out at conspiracytest.org. Here's some audio from the welcome video that you can watch when you get there. And you'll notice that even though this was a difficult experience, Jesse did what Jesse does, which is find some humor and some levity and some whimsy and just punches it up. Uh, You'll hear it. Here's the idea. Oh, yeah, and this is a reptilian overlord. Conspiracies are real. Throughout history, powerful people have conspired to mislead, harm, 
and kill for their own power and profit. But in the disinformation age, it has become increasingly difficult to know which conspiracy theories are truly likely to be true. What if spreading false conspiracy theories is itself a true conspiracy? Hmm? Introducing the Conspiracy Test. Your mission is to take on the role of a skeptic detective for your own brain and find out whether a particular conspiracy theory can pass your critical thinking investigation. Yes, if and when you do visit this website, you'll be greeted by an unsolved mysteries in search of ancient aliens kind of opening, which then transitions into a greeting by a reptilian overlord and an artificial intelligence Illuminati robot who both give you this uh, list of options, this sort of rotating uh, interactive, it's all very, very highly produced. And you click the conspiracy theory you'd most like to explore. The pandemic, Stop the Steal, JFK, the MMR vaccine, UFOs, the moon landing, flat earth, stuff like that. And once you pick, you then use a slider to establish your current level of skepticism on the matter. And then you go from there. It gets weird and fun and cleverly educational as you work toward a final score that you can then share and compare. And the whole thing is designed to be very shareable, like those personality tests that routinely go viral. And it's launching right now. It's available right now, which means right before Thanksgiving 2023. So that way you can share it with your conspiracy theory, entertaining friends and family over the holidays, in person, over social media. And I highly recommend you do it yourself first so you get an idea of what's going on there and then share away. Uh, so yeah, check it out. This is something I helped with a teeny tiny bit as it was coming together. It's very impressive. Conspiracytest.org. And our guest in this episode is the mastermind behind all this, Jesse Richardson. He is the founder of the School of Thought International, a nonprofit that has provided free critical thinking resources to more than 30 million people worldwide in seven languages. And full disclosure, I joined the board of this fantastic organization just last month. If you head to schoolofthought.org, you'll find many other projects they've put together over the years, including your fallacy.is, your fallacy is a site devoted to 24 of the logical fallacies that people most often use to deceive and manipulate other people. Your bias.is, your bias is a similar site devoted to the most common cognitive biases that clog up our decision-making and judgments. The rulesofconversation.org, introduced by Stephen Fry, no less, which aims to help people have better disagreements and conversations on difficult topics, something that I'm often talking about, thanks to my book, How Minds Change. And then there's freelearninglist.org, a huge clickable collection of all the trustworthy and excellent places online that one can use to educate oneself on just about anything. YouTube channels, podcasts, courses, websites, subreddits, books, institutions. It's great. And you'll also find cognitive biases, posters, logical fallacies, posters, critical thinking, card decks, and other neat stuff. So we'll get into all these things over the course of this interview. But first, let's talk about the conspiracy test for a bit. And then we'll get into all sorts of tangents into things that I think are really, really fascinating. And I love Jesse's take on a bunch of different things that we get into. So here's my interview with Jesse Richardson of the School of Thought.
Okay, I am sitting here after talking endlessly about other stuff with the great Jesse Richardson, who, and that's what we do. Uh, I love this person, and I would just sit here and tell you all their bona fides, but instead I'm supposed to do this thing where I say, hey, Jesse, who are you and what do you do? Hello, David. Um, I'm still figuring that out, to be entirely honest with you. Um, but ostensibly, um, what I do is run a nonprofit called the School of Thought International, which is a nonprofit that is dedicated to popularizing critical thinking, reason, and understanding. Jesse, please, if you will, for a moment, discuss the fact that this whole project that we're going to talk about this episode acknowledges that conspiracies as a phenomenon do exist. That's right, yeah. And I think that there's this, what underlies, you know, a lot of the problem here is this dismissiveness, this kind of snarky idea that, you know, anyone that has any misgivings about power structures in the world is stupid. And that is I, ironically a stupid perspective to have, I think, because it, it's really very important as a polity and as a as a society that we hold people with power to account because they do conspire. This is not a this is not um, in question. The conspiracies are happening right now, and um, there have been so many conspiracies that have been found out, but there've also been very many conspiracies, I'm quite sure, which have never been found out because the conspirators were quite good at what they were doing in terms of conspiring. And so I think it's it's really important for us to acknowledge in good faith that yes, this is a an effort to instill critical thinking and rationality and to hold our thinking to account when it comes to conspiracy theories and conspiracy thinking, but it's not an attack on the idea that we should be holding uh, those in power to account or that conspiracies do exist and that they should be investigated and questioned. It's always wise for us to question things. The problem is that we have this, this unfortunate divide where anyone that is seen to um, have any, any misgivings about those in power is seen to be a conspiracy nut. And anyone who is in any way not certain about things feels that pressure that oh i can't actually question my government and it's like well that's 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 a really unhealthy way for us to be so the point of this exercise with the conspiracy test.org is not to shame and waggle our rational finger at people who believe in conspiracy theories instead it's to help us all to think about things in a non-adversarial non-judgmental good faith rational critical thinking format Conspiracytest.org is what, and I'm totally okay if you just pause and don't even listen to the rest of this. Uh, go to conspiracytest.org and play with it and come back after and you can hear us talking about it. But after your reptilian person is talking to you and you have this nice AI overlord, which is nice job, by the way. I know this took a long time to make and boy, is it a good time to have an AI person talking to you because <laughs> that's the, the subject of, of much hemming and hawing. Uh, you get to pick your conspiracy that you want to play with. And it's in this nice rotating, uh, super well-done uh, UI. I, at first, thought you just picked like five. And then I started clicking. I was like, my God, there are a lot of these. <laughs> some of them I'd forgotten about. It's so cool. Do you remember some of the ones uh, that are in your, your uh, selection list? Yeah. So, I mean, we, we tried to do a range. There's a fantastic chart that I'm sure you've seen, David, um, called the Conspiracy Chart. I think it's at the conspiracychart.org, um, where they have... Uh, 
they've essentially got this diagram where they've gone like conspiracies that actually happened, like, you know, COINTELPRO and MKUltra and these things that are actual conspiracies that occurred that we have evidence for. And then we have like a, a series that's like, we have questions about these things. And then we go right up into the QAnon, like with, um, you know, these conspiracies are harmful to yourself and others um, kind of level of like, you know, we've left reality here and there's some, you know, we're, we're, we're doing some pretty crazy stuff. And so we wanted to get a, a, a scale of um, different conspiracies, things that, you know, genuinely are questionable. There's epistemic um, uncertainty about certain things. And then you have QAnon, which is on probably the other end of that spectrum where uh, the belief that, you know, the world is being run by a cabal of child trafficking uh, elites in Hollywood who uh, use various chemicals to keep themselves young. And it's part of a, a global conspiracy that um, is, 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 is exacting control. These We wanted to have a spectrum of these types of beliefs and, and conspiracies that people could interact with. And the question that we, we ask is, choose a conspiracy you think might be true. And the phrasing is kind of important there because of the probabilistic scale that we were talking about before, that it's not that you believe in or don't believe in because that's the wrong frame. <laughs> like we should have epistemic doubt about almost everything and we should accord what we believe with a probabilistic inference, with thinking about things rationally. And, you know, you don't always have to think in percentage scales, but just that mindset of thinking like, well, I don't, I'm never going to know for sure one way or the other, but this is what seems probable given the available evidence. So you pick a conspiracy that you think might be true, and then you know Captain Zardulu, who is a deep state Illuminati alien lizard on a UFO, helps guide you through that process in a somewhat uh, aggressive way. And then it, it has, you're presented with all these interesting things. Like there's a not only are there like some videos and things you may have never seen, but you also get these fascinating um, sort of critical thinking exercises that don't come across as that. I love that at some point you start uh, getting other people who've taken the test. You get to see some of the things they may have said. And it has this fascinating quality. I thought what it would be were people who were like, this totally changed my mind. And here's what, and if you haven't changed your mind at this point, you must, you're, must be quite a fool. But that was not what I was receiving. There, there's, a, there's some of those maybe in there, but there were a lot of people who were saying, look, here's the deal. Here's, and you're seeing other people other people's arguments and and some of them are stronger and some of them are weaker, but it made me feel that thing that I, maybe I hope you intended was, um, Oh boy. Well, I'm not that far. Uh, or oh, possibly a good point there, but just seeing it objectively and other people saying those things made me start to evaluate myself even more strongly than I thought I was going to evaluate myself. And I found that shocking, surprising. And then I giggled at it because I was like, haha, Jesse does these things. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really interesting point. And so, yeah, this is, it's, it seems like almost a small thing in the experience because we've got all these fantastical 3D video things going on. And then you have the step, which is basically what I think of as collaborative reasoning, because the thing that I've learned more than anything else that is, I've updated my own priors on in the last 10 years of, of um, thinking about this stuff is that we are social creatures and emotional creatures before we are rational creatures. And I kind of knew that before intellectually, but I have like shifted my perspective pretty profoundly and the way that I think about things because of the, the resonance of that insight. And what I think is the most powerful driver, and this is, you know, spoilers for your book here, David, how minds oh, yeah, change, sure, sure. Um, but as we are social creatures and we not only are influenced 
socially in terms of um, you know how we we change our beliefs for social norms and what's you know the our crowd our tribe our family whatever they believe we we desperately and deeply are motivated to want to conform to that no matter how much we like to think of ourselves as individuals that just exists in us as a as a state of being and so that is there but also the flip side of this thing is that it's not just a liability that we are you know given to being adversely biased by the biases of our group we are also empowered by the potential of our group to reason together the potential of us to be able to think cooperatively together is i think perhaps the most important and profound insight that we all need to take to heart and make things in the world that are designed yes. around that hence what i'm doing so the 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 this this truth is that if we are able to collectively and collaboratively and cooperatively reason, we know from the research, um, the academic literature, that we are much better at spotting other people's biases than we are at spotting our own. And if we can play to that strength, I think there's a really fantastic potential there that can help to be a salve and a positive influence on all that is very, very wrong and terrifying about the world. There are many great researchers, Tom Stafford, most prominently, and then Hugo Mercier uh, in his in Sperber and all these others who are helping reform a certain part of uh, psychology in the sense that you can take a lot of these things like, say, the sunk cost fallacy and put people in a group and you get different results from their reasoning process than you would if you were asking them questions individually. Because uh, that's what happens. When I start seeing the way you're answering it, you start seeing, and we start sort of collaborating. And even just you being really wrong about it is very helpful for the group. It, it, and you get different results. Um, there's also like the cognitive reflection uh, task, which is almost always used to show how bad we are at uh, thinking in general, uh, with things like, uh, you know, five machines, five widgets, five minutes, those qu- kind of questions. The ball and bat problem comes from that. Um, yeah, you ask a per, you ask people individually, and they have a really high rate of failing on this. Uh, you put people in just groups of three or more, and almost every single time they'll work it out. Uh, it's a very different way of looking at how human beings do stuff. And unfortunately, the platforms that we started hanging out on over the last ten years aren't very amenable to the hanging out in a group the way we would at a campfire or at a bar or at a dinner conversation or just on the bus or something. So that step in the conspiracy test dot uh, org where you are you get to the place where like oh wait I'm looking at other people's reasoning right now and it's affecting me I love it so I think that's a that's a really important point is that there is this uh, I think gap in understanding that our greatest power and potential um, and our greatest liability are in the same domain which is how we operate as groups. You could say that online social platforms are are great for doing exactly what we're talking about here, which is reasoning as a group. And the both are true. It's 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 not an uh, an either or. It's a both and situation where if the frame, if the context, if the priors, if the way in which we engage with each other is primed to drive us down a polarized, tribalistic, self-reinforcing, aggressive. Uh, rabbit hole of 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 belief reinforcement, then we are seeing the effects of that in the negative. I think in so many different places, 
our ability to be susceptible to cult-like thinking, conspiracy thinking, to fear-based motivated reasoning that has such terrible effects in the world is almost limitless. It is it is horrifically um, everything from the Holocaust to everything else that has ever happened as uh, has been predicated on this unfortunate liability that we have as social beings, as social creatures, to be influenced by group psychology and to be influenced by group dynamics. However, it is also our greatest potential and and strength that we can reason collectively. The idea that we as individuals are going to overcome all of these problems epistemically is, I think, uh, naive at best. What we need to do is to help create forums and contexts and mind frames and ways in which we can collaborate in good faith together. Because unless we are collaborating in good faith and genuinely trying to be shoulder to shoulder understanding something rather than just trying to smack someone down and achieve intellectual or social dominance, then that is the crux of where it shifts. Our greatest power, our greatest peril. And now we take a break from our program for a word from our sponsors. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, and I'm very proud to have BetterHelp as a sponsor. I was using BetterHelp before they became a sponsor, and I was very excited to learn that they wanted to sponsor this program. I have recommended BetterHelp to people. I know people right now who I've recently onboarded. I had a friend who had a really difficult medical event and was experiencing a completely new range of anxieties and feelings and concerns. And I recommended therapy. I'd never gone to therapy before. And this helped. Now, a lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. And the question is, time for what? If our time was unlimited, how would you use it? And the best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what is that special thing? What is important to you? What is that thing that deserves to take that slot, that precious time? How do you make that a priority? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I really recommend giving BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and you will get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. You can do that several times and really lock in with a therapist that is able to generate with you that dynamic that's so important. I believe you should be in therapy. I believe everyone should be in therapy for a period of time at least in their lives to sort this out. What's important to you? How do you make it work? And you can learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Y-A-N-S-S today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Y-A-N-S-S. So you want to make better decisions and you have a business. You have a business and you want to make better decisions in that business. You need some sort of key performance indicators, a system for measuring 
what you're up to, what you're doing. Measurable values that demonstrate how effectively your company is achieving your key business objectives. That's a KPI. And I have a recommendation for you. It's called NetSuite. You should be using NetSuite. Here's, here's why. So your business gets to a certain size and the cracks start to emerge. Every business that's doing well, even if it's just starting to kind of do well, it'll start to form some fissures here and there. Things you used to do in a day will start taking a week and you'll have all sorts of manual processes that just there's too many. You can't get to everything and you don't have one source of truth to make sense of it all, to make those better decisions. If that's you, you should know about three numbers. These are three numbers you should know. 37,000, 25, and 1. 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. That's a big number. 37,000. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system. Streaming accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. 25? 25 years? 25 years of helping businesses do more with less. Close their books in days, not weeks. And drive down costs. And one. Because your business is one of a kind. You don't want some sort of operation or app that's just made for whoever comes along. No, you get a customized solution for creating those KPIs that you need. One efficient system with one source of truth made for one business, your business. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow all in one place. When you have everything you need in one place, all these biases all these fallacies that I talk about on this program, it's an incredible way to apply everything you learn about making better decisions by having one source from which to pull your evidence, your information. Right now, you can download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance for nothing, absolutely free. You just go to netsuite.com slash not so smart. You get it for free. That's netsuite.com slash not so smart to get your own KPI checklist. One more time, netsuite.com slash not so smart. And now we return to our program. I love the school of thought. I've been a fan of the school of thought for ages. It's every, it's just, thinking about stuff and metacognition and epistemology and pedagogy and all those things, but not in a way where you have to know the ology words for all that stuff to get benefit from it. And I've loved that about it for ages. And I'm very happy to have joined you in some role to help uh, proselytize what's going on. Uh, the ology part of it is beautiful to me and the way it's presented. If you scroll around the website, you're like, oh, you do this. Oh, you do this. Oh, you do this. Oh, how can you be doing all these things? Which is kind of a question I'm going to ask because you've got your fallacies, your biases. You've got the free learning list. I love all the stuff on there. And then you, you're scrolling along. You're like, Stephen Fry, what do you have to say? And it's also, in if you've ever gone to any website like this, you win right off the bat for the best design. Everything is so beautifully designed. It, it looks 
like, oh, wow, this could be like Gucci's website. Like they, somebody paid a lot of money for this, is what it feels like. But I know it's because you have incredible talents in this regard. Uh, it's just a beautiful website and well put together. And that's what I, I, I could go on endlessly. I should be asking you these things. I'll start with how can you be doing all these things is the big question. There's your fa- like just the, your fallacy is your biases. And then uh, like the, um, the, the part where you're teaching people how to have better conversation skills and just there's a, a gazillion things in there. I even like trying to show people this, uh, the number of URLs I have to put together and double check that they all work. How, how, can, how can all this be part of one project? How is that a thing? Um, I, well, I mean, that's a good question. I think neurodivergence is one answer to that question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I am endlessly distracted by shiny new things and have to pursue them with dogged uh, determination until they manifest in the world of some kind of, some kind of pixels on a screen for people. <laughs> but I, uh, I had this kind of epiphany moment, David, some years ago when I was sitting in a fish and chip shop here in Brisbane. And I was feeling deeply frustrated and upset that all of the things that were wrong with the world were not going to be fixed by me arguing with people on the internet who were wrong, which was a delusion. I think I was sort of suffering prior to that epiphany moment where I thought that, oh no, I can actually convince people with logics and facts that um, they're incorrect about their presumptions and priors. And I was realizing this in my, you know, um, early thirties, I think it must've been. And I was thinking, well, this is hopeless and despairing and there's nothing we can evidently do about it. And I was having lunch and I thought, you know, what we really need to do is teach the next generation how to think for themselves. If we don't do that, we're all all doomed. And I had the idea of putting together my background, which is in design, um, advertising, copywriting, art direction with my other great passion in life, which is philosophy and critical reasoning, rationality. Um, thought, what if we put those two things together? Would that be a good thing? And I had this, this idea for a, a free online creative commons curriculum that anyone could access anywhere in the world for free to learn critical thinking skills in a way that was actually engaging, um, not just walls of text and boring, you know, academic verbiage. And so I thought, well, I need a proof of concept for this, this grandiose um idea so we came up with a website called yourlogicalfallacyis.com and the basic idea there was just to take 24 of the most common logical fallacies and distill them down into a single simple sentence that anyone could understand and put some graphics and you know a little bit of um, user experience design magic behind it and allow people to tag someone who had committed a fallacy online. So if someone's created, committed a straw man fallacy, an ad hominem fallacy, a peel to nature fallacy, you can tag them with yourlogicalfallacyis.com slash straw man. And that would give an exposition and the metadata and all that sort of thing. And that got launched in 2012 and went immediately viral. And Stephen Fry and Jimmy Wales and a whole lot of other people tweeted it, melted our servers. And um, I think we've we've now reached 30 million people in seven languages in the intervening time. Um, so it just kind of like went fantastic. And I was under the impression that if that happened, which I was really happy about, <laughs> that someone would um, come along and drop a big bag of money on my lap and say, <laughs> go forth, Jesse, and do wonderful things in the world. But um, evidently, that's not how the world works. Um, yet more naivete on my part. I 
said, oh, well. You updated we, your priors. In this I program. updated my Bayesian priors. Exactly right. David. <laughs> and I thought, well, um, what else? Do we have? Well, I'll do another proof of concept. So we did one on cognitive biases that your bias is. Um, that's the whole, it's an Icelandic um, domain, your, your bias dot is. Um, and that also went immediately viral and got featured in World Economic Forum and Forbes and a whole lot of other stuff and hit the front page of Reddit and so forth. And then I just kept doing that for 10 years. And we did one called the rules of civil conversation.org, which Stephen Fry helped us to launch by doing the voiceover for our video promoting that. And the free learning list was really like a spreadsheet of like just cool free learning stuff that I turned into a, a website that anyone could access. And we're now coming up to doing uh, another one we're about to launch called The Conspiracy Test at theconspiracytest.org, which is similarly an extension of just this idea of making things um, in- engaging and interactive, but dealing with subject matter, which is normally the realm of academia, um, which doesn't get as much traction online. Yeah. I, we're gonna. That's what we're going to talk about endlessly in a moment. But I do want to reiterate some of these things. I'm gonna, I will have links to everything that was just mentioned in the show notes for this episode for everyone listening. They're all incredible. I have my uh, notes over here so I can remember them all. And uh, the freelearninglist.org, like it's so rad. You, it's all the places online where you can get. You know how people will talk about things and they'll say, "I mean, we have the internet. Why are people still doing X?" Or you know, you could just go here. It's Obviously, that's difficult to just ask someone, yeah, jump on the internet and figure out what's true. Jump on the internet and teach yourself how X works. But this list is a great thing. It's every possible free learning resource that's ever been and still and that, and that is still active. Uh, and they're all great. There's also your fallacy is and your biases, which are, you know, obviously mega part of my world. They have come to me so many times. People have emailed that to me. People have sent it to me by text message. Like, have you seen this? And I'm like, yes, I've seen this. <laughs> I'm very aware of it. I, and then and, and at some point when we finally met each other, I could start name dropping. Yes, I know the, the person behind all this. Correct me if I'm wrong. You still make these cards, right? That, that you can get this physically, correct? Yeah. So we we had this, um, when we first did the Fallacies website, the idea was to just be 100% creative commons, make everything free. You could download the posters. You still can do that. But I had all these people contacting me saying, hey, why don't you make a run of these Logic Fallacies posters? Because like we have to pay like 90 bucks for it to get a single one printer. But if you got it you know, mass produced, it would be heaps cheaper. So I did that, started selling them. And then people said, you should do a deck of cards, critical thinking cards. So a strong affirmation of the idea that when you're looking for product market fit, actually talk to the market and see if there is one there. And that works really well. So we raised like $100,000 on Kickstarter for the critical thinking cards. And they've gone on to sell like, I think about 100,000 decks now um, worldwide, which is which is super awesome. It's awesome. Yeah, I've got a. Um, I'm I'm pointing over here because I have several decks of both. That sounds difficult. I love that your skills in these domains, your artistic skills, your web skills, and then your skills at sort of hacking the system or getting stuff out of it in a way that allows you to create decks of cards that you can distribute internationally. It's really cool that a person like yourself also is a huge critical thinking, philosophy, psychology, neuroscience nerd and the two things mushed together to make all these incredible projects. I think that's awesome. I'm glad that happened. I don't think there's a question here. I just want you to know that I love you very much. (laughs) (laughs) The feeling's very reciprocal, David, and for almost exactly (laughs) the same reasons. And it's really interesting because there's there's an unfortunate side effect of um, expertise, 
where so many academics um, and scientists are just not really very good communicators. And there's some that are obviously fantastic at it. You know, one of my favorite human beings of all time is Carl Sagan. And the, you know, he was an, an amazing poet, communicator, and just a beautiful human being and philosopher. And also, as, as far as the science communication was concerned, I think second to none. But the unfortunate reality is that the crucible of academic training is such that specificity and being esoteric and arcane are kind of just part and parcel of that mindset. And it's at odds with the attention economy. And in my estimation, there is a huge deficit, a huge epistemic gap between the understanding that we have as a species and the understanding that is able to be communicated en masse through the channels that we have so successfully promulgated in the world. That unless you're very precise in what you're saying as an academic, there is a liability there. If you simplify it for a mass audience, you in some ways necessarily misrepresent the reality to some extent. And so that therein lies, I think, part of the epistemic problem and gap that occurs because oftentimes um, science communicators are not well versed enough in the subject matter to be able to articulate it in a way that is not misrepresentative. And so there is this unfortunate disconnect there. And so I think it's really important that science communicators are uh, circumspect and intellectually humble in what they're talking about because it does a disservice to all of our understanding writ large if if that's not the case. Yeah. So well put. You have to know how the new information economy works and it's always changing. We're probably you and I right now as we're recording this living through possibly the the end of social media as we remember it. Maybe that was just a phase we went through. Let's hope. And possibly, possibly. And, and there may be better things on the horizon. It's always shifting and moving in a very beautiful Marshall McLuhan kind of way. So you have to know, the, you have to be able to read the room and communicate with the people who are using the stuff. And now that's going to be Gen Z, Gen Alpha. And you have to also know the vernacular, not just of the word wording of things, but the way people navigate through those worlds. Because now we're flying through TikTok and all sorts of other fun stuff. You also have to be fairly versed in the meme economy and, and meme space to know uh, whether you're saying <laughs> you're you're cringing yourself out by using uh, terms from, hey, that's what people were saying seven months ago. So I love that like all your stuff takes that into account and you've created something new, which uh, this is what this episode is all about is launching it, telling everybody about it. It's designed to go viral like a lot of stuff you do. And it's really fun. And it, it's one of those things where when I first used it and played around with it, I'm talking about the, consp the conspiracy test. I was astonished at the incredible production value slamming my frontal cortex. And I was like, whoa, somebody put a lot of effort into this, which I was expecting that from your stuff. But this is like way above and beyond. So let's talk about that for a minute. First of all, what was the inspiration to even jump into a project which feels really difficult and large like this. It's called the conspiracy test. So I'm going to ask you a two-part question. What was the inspiration for this thing? And what the hell is this thing? I'm going to give you a, a two-part answer to your two-part question. Um, maybe a four-part answer. We'll see. Um, Ooh, so <laughs> the, the, the background to this is that um, we launched the, uh, the fallacies and biases project back in the uh, early 2010s, about 2012. And at the time, I had a view that if we just taught people critical thinking skills, the world would be a better place and that it would solve a lot of the problems that we have. And I don't disagree with that, but I think I've come to a very different perspective in the intervening years. 
And the big shift for me was around about 2016 for probably pretty obvious reasons, where I realized that people were oftentimes weaponizing the logical fallacy site um, and just shutting down conversations instead of opening them up. And that is antithetical in my estimation to um, the whole project of trying to make the world a more uh, science literate, critical thinking uh, laden and positively rational place because it just feeds into tribalism, polarization and everything that is rending us apart and uh, issuing forth the impending apocalypse. So I switched gears a little bit in that time and we did the rules of civilconversation.org website was a as a kind of mea culpa attempt to redress some of the ill effects I think that happened as a result of us putting these tools out into the world. And to be clear, they're not all bad. Like a lot of people I get emails all the time from people saying thank you so much for you know giving us these free resources we homeschool and teach our kids about fallacies of logic and this has led to philosophy and all sorts of other things it's great but there's a downside too and so we're trying to rectify that and in in concert with that happening and wanting to do something that was was positive i saw so much division around the idea of conspiratorial thinking and so much signal coming from extremes that were affecting what I think of as, you know, a kind of more bell curve middle of reality. And the this dissonance really upset me. So I was talking to a friend of mine who I used to be in a band with many, many years ago. And he's a lovely guy, but he'd gone right down the QAnon rabbit hole. And he was expressing his views in good faith with me. And I had this moment where I, in in a previous life, I might have been scornful or tried to smack him down about what he believed. And I realized the futility of that. And I also thought about linking him to some of the biases that he was clearly suffering in his the way that he was thinking about this. And that just felt really combative and unhelpful. And because I've been thinking about this and this, this wheelhouse that you and I have both been in for quite a while now, and in terms of the psychology and understanding what actually helps to um, change people's minds, I knew that my efforts to be in any way antagonistic were going to be um, counterproductive. And so I thought about this for a few days and I was thinking, you know, what would be really good is if I could provide a way for people to conduct their own critical thinking investigation. So rather than me as a holier than thou rational skeptic waggling my finger at someone, telling them where it's at, instead providing a way where someone in good faith without threat could go into something and say, okay, well, let's honestly examine this. I'm open to the truth of things. And a really interesting aspect of people who often believe in conspiracy theories or are conspiracy curious is that they are quite open-minded, more so than people give them credit for. And if you can play to that and say, well, let's really, in good faith, genuinely examine these, these claims, and it's you that's doing it. So you're you're not at odds with someone else as an adversary. It's up to you. That was the, the core idea behind it. And so what The idea behind the conspiracy test is that it's a series of steps that you go through challenging your own beliefs about a conspiracy theory to see if they hold up to scrutiny. And some of those are very metacognitive, like let's just think about, you know, how many people would need to be involved in this and those sorts of things. Some of them are about our own intellectual humility and how we might calibrate for that. And some of them are like outright kind of debunking efforts, but caveated with a 
don't believe everything in this video. It's got its own biases too. We're trying to evaluate here as rational agents, not as proselytizing one particular perspective because conspiracies do happen and conspiracies are real. And we ought to hold governments and pharmaceutical companies and everybody else to account with rational critical thinking. So the, there's an irony there. The idea is to give people the agency and the power to be able to do this on their own terms and to think collectively as well, to be able to compare themselves with others and share it and start forums of conversation with people that is inherently non-adversarial and is just attempting to get to the truth of things, which is, I think, a very different frame to how this idea of conspiracy theories as being uh, those crazy conspiracy people, or if you're at all sympathetic to this conspiracy idea or whatever, you're in the wrong camp, um, which I think is very unhelpful. There's so many things that overlap here, like with how minds change, you have uh, things that people resolve to do, that your path to this. And all these different groups that I discovered who were doing things independently of one another and had never met each other, they all kind of landed on the same things that seemed to work. And your list is also, blah, 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 blah. These are the things. And I love that so much. I love seeing the truth of this emerging in different places where people have followed the same arc. I think a lot of us started with, oh, wow. Philosophy gave me something, critical thinking gave me something, then I tried to apply it, and it turns out I'm a real dickhead when I do that, and the people don't like it. Why does that happen? Doesn't everybody want to know these things? Oh, wait, people are complicated, and reactants, and there's all these psychological mechanisms that come into play with autonomy, and signaling, and all these things that take place when I feel like someone's trying to tell me that I'm a fool, or they're going to make my friends and family think that. And there's internal counter-arguing and all that stuff that you start to learn about when you get excited about the better conversational techniques. And that's one of the things I love most about the conspiracy test is it so eliminates or, or as best it mitigates it, I put it that way, a lot of the internal counter-arguing that will take place because you're not who you're arguing with. You're, you're just playing, this is happening on your own terms and it's nice and private. So I don't necessarily have to tell anybody what it said. Uh, I also can lie to myself all the way through this thing because you have this nice slider that asks you every once in a while, it prompts you, where's your confidence level right now? And you can lie to yourself all the way through. I felt myself kind of sort of doing that as I was playing with different ones of them. And I was like, I don't think that necessarily moved me very much. But as I moved forward, I, I felt an impulse to be a bit more honest about what I was actually experiencing. So even if not right there in the test, you do it, it's planting the seeds of introspection that will affect you going forward. I find that incredibly well done. And it never tells you that's happening. It's like, hey, this is just you and me playing around on the screen. Uh, enjoy yourself and it's presented very in a very tongue-in-cheek silly we're all in on the same joke here kind of format where where you're not being made fun of and the conspiracy is not necessarily being made fun of it's just being a person's being made fun of and it, you feel totally at ease to examine your actual critical thinking even if you come away from it saying look i'm still going to the uh conspiracy cruise later this year you have been introduced to the totally painless experience of metacognition. And that's really nice. And it was, you're going, it's going to stick with you. I love all these things. I'm just promoting it here with you because I think it's a good thing that you've created. There's a couple of things you, you said there, Dave, that I'd love to pick up on. Sure, please. So um, I know I'm, I'm very much preaching to the converted here, but the, what we know helps people to change their minds and not in a, like, we, we know what we're doing and we're going to change your minds to the correct view but actually just helps the mobility of belief to shift 
to something that someone has their own, own internal locus of control over is one, metacognition, um, being aware of our own thinking. As soon as we do that reflective, evaluative frame of mind, and the mindset is what's really important there, we shift from an adversarial defensive beliefs to a genuine good faith reflective understanding and a curiosity about our own beliefs and whether or not they might be true or whether or not our priors might be true through informing those beliefs. It's a really significant shift in not just how we think, but also the outcomes of that. So that's one of the really important precepts that we attempted to bake into this experience. The other thing is probabilistic thinking. So as you well know, as soon as you introduce a scale with the deep canvassing uh, research is a good example of this, as soon as you go from that bifurcated dichotomous view of a black or white thing, I am for gun control, I am against it. I am for abortion, I am against it. As soon as you start thinking about anything, whether it's a controversial issue or just something every day, in a probabilistic way, we've undermined one of the worst enemies to critical reasoning, which is black or white thinking, is thinking that things have to be either one way or the other, and that we double down on whatever that side of that divide we, we go on. So as soon as you introduce a scale and say, well, on a scale of one to 10, how much do you support uh, marriage equality? All of a sudden, you've shifted the way that we think deftly into a different way of considering things. And it's a more honest and epistemically relevant way to think about things, because of course, no one can be 100% sure about anything, especially in the domain of beliefs. It's just it's just epistemically wrong to think that. <laughs> just, yes. We can have 100% certainty about these things. No one on earth can have that epistemic certainty. And as soon as we admit that and bring that into our frame of reference, we have profoundly changed the way in which we are considering things, the very mechanisms of thought that we are using to be able to evaluate things change with a probabilistic scale. And so giving people metacognition and probabilistic thinking are probably two of the most important precepts. And you touched on something else, which is that there's this idea that we need to change people's minds in a single setting, that we're going to have an internet argument that's adversarial, or we're going to have our own epiphany, and everything's going to shift. And that just isn't how minds work. Minds work by changing over time incrementally. And when we think back to like, what were our beliefs 10, 15, 20 years ago, we go, how did I ever think that thing? How did I ever believe that? But what's really interesting if we think about it is that there was no point in the intervening 10, 15 years when you went, you know what, I've been convinced by an internet argument or a book I read or anything else that was a particular specific instance that made me change my mind on that. What happened instead is that our views softened. Uh, we sort of appraised things a little bit differently. There was a, a comedy, a stand-up special we watched that made fun of that thing that we had a, a, a pent-up, repressed idea about, and it just kind of like gave a valve to that that pressure. And then somehow, some way, through the incremental, beautiful complexity of how minds shift and change over time, we realized that we're in a extremely different epistemic spot. We're in a very different belief set than we used to be without ever having made a conscious decision to change that. And so recognizing that beliefs change over time is a really important precept of what we're trying to do here. And we are looking to do a formal research study in collaboration with the University of Queensland who have helped us um, with this project, as well as Professor Sander van der Linden at Cambridge um, and some other academics that are going to help us to evaluate 
not only what helps to change people's belief mobility, what helps people to change their minds to be more skeptical and rational about appraising conspiracy thinking specifically and conspiracy theories, but also what happens over time. So you might take this test and go, well, it shifted my skepticism from, you know, like I was a baseline of, of 50%. I was like, uh, I moved up to 60% as a result of the, the test. But if we check in with you at 12 months, six months, 12, 12 months, what might have changed in terms of planting those seeds of doubt that are then germinated, fertilized and grown in the crucible of your own experience in the world and thinking about it and considering things from a different perspective, because I suspect that there's some, some interesting things to be cleaned there. Common phrase in the world of skepticism and, hum and humanism and critical thinking, especially in the early days of the internet, you can't reason a person out of a position they didn't reason themselves into. And the whatever truth or lack thereof it, it contained within that statement, it, it was often used as permission to not talk to people. Mm. It was permission to not even try and to, to discount all your friends and family who, who you get into arguments with. I dig that all this has been rolled into an interactive thing that doesn't require you to have ever heard any of the things we were talking about for it to work. But it is just so wrong-headed to have the idea that you're going to be able to be snarky and sarcastic and dismissive towards somebody and that that's somehow going to make the world a better place. And I've been <laughs> guilty of this, you know, like I was yeah. a, I was a, on the new atheist bandwagon in the early aughts and I, I had the uh, completely wrong-headed and in retrospect, such a shallow and ridiculous idea that if I was articulate enough and how mean and snarky I was in smacking down other people's beliefs, that that would have a, a positive effect in the world. And what a wrong-headed way to think about things, you know. It, it's so counterproductive and feeds the uh, feeds fuel to the flames of everything that is 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 antithetical to us actually understanding things. Because when you foster understanding, it's an act of connection and cooperation and love. It's not an act of aggression and fear and trying to uh, assert power and dominance over somebody else. And I think the rational skeptic community really needs to shift that mindset if they want to have. Uh, uh, not just a, <laughs> a counterproductive effect in the world, but actually a positive effect in the world in helping people to understand things um, in good faith. I, I, it, to add to what you're saying, all reasoning is motivated. Okay, reasoning is incredibly powerful. Like, did you what? If you, if, whether or not you watched Oppenheimer, you probably are familiar with the nuclear bomb. That's how amazing our reasoning skills are. We went to the moon, if you believe that. We did, we, oh my God, the things you can do with reasoning. And not just that, walk through any museum, walk through any exhibit of modern art, unbelievable, chat GPT, reasoning is incredible. But it's so powerful, you really need to be careful what's motivating it. And you can be motivated by fear, you can be motivated by political gain, you can be motivated by signaling to your group, you can be motivated by, I want to make a whole lot of money, you can be motivated by fame. Uh, these they can be motivated by all sorts of social primate stuff that's old and will be with us forever. Or, and you can also be motivated by a desire for status in, in academia that will lead you to do amazing things because you want to be look cool. So there's a way to, to also hijack those social primate stuff. What's important, though, and, and what, I'm, what I'm leading to here is when you're on Facebook or something and you're having an argument, one of your motivations right now is 
to look a certain way in front of everyone who might see that particular conversation that's taking place on the Facebook versus if you were sitting next to someone in a bar, you have different motivations. The biggest shift I think that we can make as individuals and that we ought to make collectively is to be okay with the idea of intellectual humility and epistemic doubt. There is this strong and powerful motivation in so many different settings to be confident, to be confident about ourselves as individuals, as a member of this tribe, as an academic, as whatever. And it is such a great pity that we have in the attention economy created a currency for confidence uh, that is rewarded with attention, with status, with all of these things. And so being able to foster uh, an awareness of and a, a deep desire to want to be intellectually humble is a really difficult thing to do, I think. It is antithetical to the way that the whole attention economy has been set up. And yet there's, a, there's, a, there's an interesting wrinkle, I think, because when we see someone who demonstrates intellectual humility, whether it's a leader, uh, an employer, uh, uh, you know, someone who's a, a personality that is, is part of the attention economy, whatever, when someone demonstrates that they're genuinely intellectually humble, curious, not arrogant about the way that they're going about things, we have so much more respect for that person. We see that they're not just on their soapbox trying to say their thing and push their agenda. They're engaging in good faith. They're, they're a truth-seeking, honest person. They're authentic. And we admire that. And so there's this dissonance, this contradiction where we kind of admire people that are confident and we also really admire people that are intellectually humble. And so it's, you know, the wolf that we feed there is, I think, a really important thing because there is a way to be able to combat this egregious misalignment of confidence in the attention economy with intellectual humility, with being more circumspect, with going, well, I, you know, I'm not sure. And I'm interested to hear about your perspective, even though I disagree with it. All of these people that are proponents of free speech, and, you know, I probably count myself among those, it's it's really important that free speech isn't just about like the, the forum to smack other people down. It's about being curious about understanding why someone believes what they believe, not just so that you can use that against them, but genuinely principle of charity, wanting to understand why do you think that? Because in having that curiosity and in having that conversation, you are going to get at the crux of things and we are going to be able to update our priors over time, not immediately. And that is, I think, the rub of it is that we we want to be able to get these instant dopamine hits of reward where the the healthier way to be is to is more of a long game, is more of a, a sustained effort of good faith engagement that doesn't yield immediate results, but is a necessary precursor to doing anything that isn't going to just evolve into yet more polarization and tribalism. How do people find this thing that you made? Uh, very simply. And also, how do they keep up with what's going on with the school of thought and just you in general and what's going on in these worlds? I'm, I'm stepping away, but keep up with me, everybody. What do you have to say in that regard? 
You can find The Conspiracy Test at theconspiracytest.org. And you can find all of the School of Thought projects and links and so forth at schoolofthought.org. That's a launching pad for all of the things that we're doing. You can also subscribe to our newsletter, which will give you instant access to a whole bunch of free Creative Commons stuff, including posters, critical thinking cards, and a whole lot of other stuff at either schoolofthought.org or thethinkingshop.org, where you can also purchase merch if you like. We're also doing something of a social experiment launching the conspiracy test and the idea behind this is that we want to use the mechanisms and techniques of misinformation against themselves so we want to use the dark arts of misinformation to fight misinformation Uh, and the way that (laughs) (laughs) so the idea we had was to um to get the conspiracy test out there is we should frame it like it's a real conspiracy so we've created these posters which anyone can print and put up around their town their city their community board their school whatever their office that look like it's essentially trying to tell you the truth of things so it says discover the truth at metaconspiracy.org and you know it has another one with you know you are being manipulated discover the truth at metaconspiracy.org and also if you share the url to that anywhere online it looks like it's it's going to be something that is telling you a truth bomb about conspiracies that the powers that be don't want you to know but the the bait and switch there is that actually it's like going hey conspiracies are real we recognize that but we in the age of disinformation we need to take seriously the idea that not all conspiracy theories are true and that we need a way to be able to think about this that keeps us to account so that we can hold the powers that be to account more effectively if that's you know something that you're interested in here's the conspiracy test and you can go through it and you know conduct your own critical thinking investigation and so forth so it's using those the dark arts of the misinformation against themselves in a way that is shareable and that people can get in on. And the idea is to conspire with us to keep that a mystery. So if you like share that on socials and so forth to go, I didn't know this, you know, you can frame it however you want, but the more salacious, manipulative and laden with uh, attention grabby, clickbaity type things you can do, the better, because that only serves to prove the point that it's effective, that these mechanisms can be used to manipulate us and that we need to do something about it. So that's that's something that I think could be a really interesting and fun way to help get the word about this out there and for us to be able to gather um, really good data and um, engage in a formal research study that helps us to understand what really helps to improve people's skepticism, belief, mobility, and critical thinking skills. So you just go to metaconspiracy.org and there's a free download button there. You just mash that, put your details in and you'll be sent PDF posters, which you can print anywhere. And we are also launching something called the Critical Thinking Alliance, which is an effort to put together all of the people that are working in the space and the critical thinking space, both academically and in terms of popularization, authors and so forth. And we invite anyone who is working in the space to submit an application as well to join our effort to galvanize everyone's efforts to attempt to make the world a more rational, curious place that wants to actually understand things instead of making it much, much, much worse. So you can find that at criticalthinkingalliance.org and the link is also at schoolofthought.org if that's too many letters to type with your fat fingers.
That is it for this episode of the You Are Not So Smart podcast. For links to everything that we talked about, head to youarenotsosmart.com or check the show notes inside your podcast player. My book, How Minds Change, it's available everywhere they put books on shelves or ship them in trucks. Details are at davidmcraney.com and I'll have all that in the show notes as well right there in your podcast player. Uh, on my homepage there at davidmcraney.com, you can find a roundtable video with a group of persuasion experts featured in the book. You can read a sample chapter, download a discussion guide, sign up for the newsletter, read reviews, and more. For all the past episodes of this podcast, go to Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Apple Music, Audible, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or youarenotsosmart.com. Follow me on Twitter. That's right, Twitter, not X. At David McCraney, follow the show at Not Smart Blog. We're also on Facebook at slash You Are Not So Smart. If you'd like to support this operation, go to patreon.com slash You Are Not So Smart. Pitching in at any amount gets you the show ad free, but the higher amounts get you posters, t shirts, signed books, and more. Opening music that's Clash by Caravan Palace. The interstitial music has been by a couple different people this episode uh, Twin Musicom and Finn Taylor and Dr. Tickoff. All right, tell everybody you know about this show. That's the easiest way to support it. And check back in about two weeks for a fresh new episode. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.